The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And my co-host, Ron Schmelzer, is actually out on a much-needed and well-deserved vacation. So it will just be me on this podcast interview today. If you're listening to the AI Today podcast for the first time, welcome. We've been doing this for four years now, and this is the podcast to go if you want to hear interviews with thought leaders, also insight into our AI market trends and adoption and both the public and private sector, and also conversations around key topics focusing on what's happening really with AI today. So if you haven't listened to any of our previous podcasts, check them out. We have tons of interviews. And we also, as I mentioned, have different podcasts where we go into various AI use cases. We also have podcasts around our AI education as well. But some of the best podcasts that we have are with guests because we get to hear what's happening with AI today at various organizations. So I'm excited to have with us here today, Rick McFarland, who's the Chief Data Officer at LexisNexis. Hi, Rick, and thanks for joining us today. Hello. Hello, thanks for having me. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at LexisNexis. And maybe for folks that aren't familiar with LexisNexis, let them know what it is. Sure, sure. Um, well, uh, as you mentioned, I am the Chief Chief Data Officer for LexisNexis. Um, and so this usually leads to the question of what do you do in most parties I met. And uh, so basically I... I uh, oversee the data governance, data management, data science, and data strategy for all of LexisNexis. Um, I, manage, I manage the teams responsible for machine learning and AI development in most of our uh, products. And uh, for those of you, for those of the listeners who don't know of LexisNexis, we actually uh, provide legal and analytical data all, all around the world, 162 countries. Um, so what else can I tell you? Well, I'm uh, I'm also a PhD statistician. Um, uh, before joining Lexis in 2017, I was the chief data scientist at the Hearst Corporation. Um, and then before that, I was actually I worked for Amazon. Uh, I managed the retail data warehouse teams, and uh, after that, the Kindle data team. Uh, so I've had a kind of a diverse background before I found my way over here to the legal data space. Yeah, I was going to say that's a really that's a really great and diverse background. So you can bring a lot of your you know past experiences into what you're doing today. And for folks that are listening, if you're not familiar with our Data for AI event, we actually have Rick speaking at our August 2021 event. So we encourage you to check that out. You can go to dataaiconf.com. That's dataaiconf.com to check it out. I know a lot of our listeners attend. As always, it's free. So just register and make sure that you get the link. Um, and we're looking forward to diving a little bit deeper into conversations and topics there. But, you know, I want to ask about, uh, you know, with natural language processing and digital assistance in general, how you guys are using that. What do you see as primary challenges for AI adoption, especially with regards to those digital assistance and natural language technology, natural language processing technology? 
Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting question, and I and I actually uh, see digital assistants, and I'm sure you do, all over the place nowadays. In, in fact, in my home alone, I've got, I think we have two Alexas, and uh, you know, every one of our devices has Siri on them nowadays. Um, but what's interesting, if you walk into a law firm or a doctor's office, you probably don't see any digital assistants, and I guess. The question I always ask myself, I wonder why they're, where, where are they? <clears throat> and so, um, you know, at, at Lexus, we think hard about this. And so uh, we, the real reason that I think that it really boils down to the difference between what I call consumer grade AI and professional grade AI. So let me, let me, let me flesh that out a little bit here. So a consumer grade AI is, is what, I, what I would say delivers you your daily horoscope or reads you a, hor a headline or you can ask a factual question about. Um, in this case, in this case, the, the digital assistant or, or Alexa um, can be wrong and you may not even know it. I mean, if it's your horoscope and it's wrong, um, how are you to know? Um, and you just kind of go about your day, right? So I call that consumer grade AI. Um, and then, um, so in a professional setting, though, where where you're dealing with a person's health or their freedom, um, being correct matters. And this is where I, what I call, at least at Lexus, we refer to as professional grade AI space. Um, and this is primarily where we operate. So, um, so I think uh, another. Well, I can stop there for a second. Uh, is that uh, that a Makes sense, the professional versus consumer grade stuff? Yeah, you know, that's a great breakdown because I think that you're right. Uh, and we talk about AI at Cognolytica with the seven patterns of AI. And so we say, you know, when you're doing a conversational system, for example, well, you know, in some situations, you're right. If, if we're talking about horoscopes or we're talking about giving me the weather, the, you know, being wrong, um, okay, maybe I get caught in the rain or, you know, maybe it's a sunny day and I forgot to put on sunblock, but me being wrong isn't, you know, the, the AI system being wrong isn't that big of a deal, but you're right. When it comes to more, uh, you know, life-threatening situations or where it really matters or where seconds can matter, being wrong is much more uh, serious. It can have much bigger impacts. So when we think about it, we go, okay, well, you know, maybe in, in this situation, also with recommendation systems, you know, yes. the, if, if I recommend a product to you that you end up not buying and it was kind of like out in left field, then whatever, right? I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe the business, the bottom line is going to suffer, but at the end of the day, it really didn't make much impact on my life that I was buying socks and you recommended a snowblower to me. It was like, okay, whatever. Um, but if it's in a healthcare situation, then yes, it can have major impacts if what you recommend is, you know, a wrong course of treatment or I'm allergic to that medicine. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly very well said. So I think that's, that's one of the key challenges. That's why we don't see a lot of the digital assistants there. There's another problem, though, that we face on the legal side that maybe some other uh, professional situations don't. So in another challenge on the voice-based, well, I'm going to divide your digital assistants into voice and text-based. In the voice-based assist, uh, assistance, one of the challenges they have is they have to be able to transcribe the spoken query or question into a textual form. 
And this is actually creates a huge problem in the legal space. Uh, I don't probably don't know this a lot, but I think it's one of the few uh, places where uh, we have actually two languages in play, English and Latin, one, one, one alive language and one dead language. And uh, there's not a lot of people walking around speaking Latin uh, these days, maybe in the Vatican City. But uh, so one of the tests you can always, I love to try on my Alexa is I always, I throw in a couple of legal questions like, uh, what can a court do? Uh, what can court a court do sua sponte? Or what is the definition of pro se? So these are just very typical legal, uh, legal 101 questions. And as you can see, they have a English sentence with a Latin phrase in it. And if you ask these of Alexa, she, she tends to uh, get confused or doesn't realize that you're switching languages. And then here's an even harder, <laughs> let me give you a harder problem. So a typical lawyer asks very uh, complex uh, questions like a, here's a typical citation or here's a funky citation that I, I wrote down that we came across in one of our databases is so this is a, an actual question asked of our system. It is, what was the decision made in Batman versus the commissioner, 189 F2D 107, 1951, from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit? That's a mouthful, right? <laughs> yes, um, it is. Can you imagine what Alexa or Siri would do with that question? It would probably just say, I give up. So, uh, uh, I mean, and quite frankly, it because it's a it's a consumer grade AI gadget, it'll probably pivot off of the comic book response. But Batman v Commissioner is actually a real court case from 1951. So uh, I think it's a it adds another another layer of complexity for the legal space uh, on the voice based um, um, assistance. Yeah, you know, and also following up with that. Have you seen issues with getting that legalese terminology in there as well? And how good are these assistants at being able to, you know, really understand and handle it? I know you said, well, we have English and Latin, which you're right, is actually really, really interesting that I think most people don't think about where it's like, well, yes, it's it's kind of all in English, <laughs> what we're talking about here, but really we need to be dealing with two languages. But then even more specifically, just, you know, lawyer terminology yep. and that legalese specifically, how good are these assistants at being able to handle that? Well, I mean, I've been to lots of, I've been actually, uh, I speak on several panels and I've been to several law firms and quite frankly, these, these digital assistants are sitting in desk drawers in the lawyer's offices. Um, they just don't, they don't, they don't respond. They don't actually pick up the context the legal context, they're, they're programmed to work in the um, consumer space. Uh, and a lawyer is a very highly specific, I can't even imagine what a doctor's office would be like. Um, and so, and then addition, one more little thing is that the, imagine if you have our example earlier where we said you can, the horoscope can be wrong or you could be out in the weather and you may have, you know, oh, so you got a little wet, you forgot your umbrella, you're still gonna use Alexa, right? With a lawyer, if if you're in a case or you're getting information and you ask a question of a device and it gives you the wrong answer once, even once, it is it is unplugged and and put away. Um, and so I think um, I think that's the that's the real issue here is that 
the bar the bar is really high um, and and these are these things have not been trained they haven't actually gone to law school is I guess what we use around LexisNexis the state the phrase we use around Lexis <laughs> yeah so, you know, we talked about some of the challenges, but what about opportunities? You know, what do you see as opportunities around this domain-specific AI-driven Q&A platforms? Uh, I, I actually think, I do think the domain-specific space is the next big leap. I think right now, I think where we've we've actually invested a lot of time, and I, I think the AI has shown itself to be very effective in the generic question and answering um, tool, right? So, you know, a lot of times it'll, you can say, hey, what's the weather today? And in fact, some of the systems today are actually doing what we call turns, where the Q&A system will actually ask a clarifying question, uh, which is a turn saying, did you mean in New York City? And if that, and if you answer, well, yes, uh, it'll then give you the weather in New York and it actually helps to get to the right answer. And that helps refine your answer set. It's very, very helpful. But um, there's it's there's just really very few places you can go today for Q and A on on complex or domain specific content. Um, so um, I think a, a lot of times if you do ask Alexa a technical question and she doesn't know the answer, you'll hear her respond with, uh, "I found this on Wikipedia." Probably heard her say that a lot. Um, oh yes. <laughs> and, I don't know if I mean if you're a if you're a if you're a, a professional and you go to Wikipedia for your information. I don't, I'm not sure that's the most um, highly sought out technical resource. Um, and so um, defaulting to Wikipedia is one of the other challenges here. It should really, you know, we we would want these Q and A tools to default to a more curated by experts source, such as you know WebMD is a curated by doctors, LexisNexis, obviously curated by thousands of lawyers and ScienceDirect. Um, these are all recognized do domain experts, uh, places of domain expertise that um, I think the Q&A platforms should be able to recognize, hey, that's a legal question. I, I would like to default to a legal expert domain and maybe default to LexisNexis, for example, or, um, so I think that's there's a lot of opportunities around the domain space. I think that's the place where we've got to go to next. We're currently at a high school high school level AI, um, at least that's the way I refer to it as. And we need to get moving to the more advanced uh, capabilities. And sometimes I think high school is even um, a stretch <laughs> with where <laughs> these are. It's yeah. well, yeah, true. It's true. At Cognolytica, we have done, uh, for the past few years, we did uh, voice assistant benchmarks. And we took, you know, four popular um, AI digital assistants. We took the Alexa, Siri, Google Home, and Microsoft Cortana. And we just asked it a series of questions. And we found that all of them at the end of the day got a failing grade because they're not able to you know, they they don't have um, common sense, they don't have emotional IQ, they don't understand colloquialisms, and even, you know, with um, terminologies, with common phrases that people say, 
So um, there's a lot of issues with it. And you're right. For certain things, it's okay to be wrong. But, you know, we asked it, how long does does it take to cook a 15-pound turkey? And the first year, none of them got it correct. When you think about, well, when would I be using these voice assistants? And it's like, well, I probably would be using them when I'm in the kitchen and I'm cooking and my hands are dirty and I can't get access to my phone or computer. And so if they're not able to answer, you know, simple questions like that, think about, what it could mean when you're asking the more complex questions that actually have more significant consequences than maybe I just kind of burned my turkey um, or mm. undercooked it, you know? <laughs> which, which could have medical consequences right there. That was a good example of one that could go bad. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when we're, when we're looking at these digital assistants, what, what do we need? How do we get to these professional grade digital assistants? Yeah, so I think uh, I, I alluded it. I alluded a little earlier to this, but I think for for really great AI, or actually to move to the next level, you need to be able to. The AI assistant has to be able to answer the question, and what I would say in one turn, and with no clarifying questions. So what's really needed here is you need to be able to really interpret the context of the question really well. So. Where it gets wrong in my earlier example, it it gets the context wrong of Batman versus the commissioner, and I had a legal, you know, a legal uh, reference in there. The context around that should indicate to this to the tool that it's a legal question and not a question about Batman, the comic book. And so, the Q and A, I mean, took a really big leap forward with the introduction of what I would call I would call the transcoder technologies, which is the most famous one perhaps right now is being called BERT, B-E-R-T, which was introduced, I think, by Google, I think in 2018. Um, and I think is now being used by Google for all of its searches uh, to understand the search queries, but uh, this BERT methodology has the ability to actually interpret the context of the query in a more clear way and then associate the context of the query with a context, the context of answers. Answers also have context. And so this connection of the context has really, I think, been the big leap forward, uh, at least um, uh, in, in terms of being able to associate uh, create better question and answer connections and being able to understand your question and not give you a non sequitur to something that's not related to your question. And then the other step that we've taken is that Google actually provides this burst BERT technology off the shelf and it's been trained to understand the context of a bunch of uh, generic legal, it's basically read the internet and it's been, it can understand generic questions and, and can understand the context of generic questions. That's why you've probably seen an improvement in these, uh, the, the tools recently in, in terms of your generic questions. But what you can do with these tools and what we've done at Lexis is we've actually taken the BERT model and we've, we can fine tune it. We can actually, we've taken our, we have a, about a petabyte of historical legal case law data and we have fine-tuned the BERT model with the legal data so that it can, in, uh, we've taken the context of all of the legal documents we have and plugged it into the BERT brain, so to speak. Uh, so basically we took BERT and, 
and what we say took it to law school. So now we have a specialized BERT model at Lexis. Uh, we call it the legal BERT. And so when you ask it a legal question, it's, it, it puts on its legal brain and it tries to answer as a lawyer would or as because its, its brain has been programmed to think like a lawyer. Um, and so I think this is the this is the kind of the key areas if, as we get to more specialized areas of, of, of the assistance, they have to really be trained or, or <laughs> I'm not kidding, take them to either medical school or law school is really what you have to do. You have to feed it the, everything that the doctors and lawyers read. And um, these, these, these contextual models will be able to absorb those the the language of that profession and then be able to interpret the questions and answers in, in a better way. Not perfectly, but definitely can tell that that example I gave above is a legal question um, and not a comic book question. Exactly. That is very important. Now, I know that, you know, we we do run into issues still with authentication. And you're right that defaulting to Wikipedia or basic searches isn't always helpful, you know, for from a professional standpoint and sometimes even from a personal standpoint as well. But there's issues, especially as you get into more confidential situations or where you need to authenticate it's a person, there's passwords, maybe it's behind a paywall. So, you know, how are you guys addressing that or are you not yet? Um. Well, obviously, our our information is is obviously behind a, a login um, and a password, a paywall, I guess. Um, and I think the way we're currently the, that's the way our model is. But we are we are working on ways uh, for, to open up our data and our our Q and A to be more open to connect to these digital assistants in a more direct way. Um, but that's kind of the challenge here is um, the the data that's needed to train these things is collected over time and it's and it's curated by professionals and it has cost companies millions and millions of dollars to you know enrich this data and and prep it and it, it is it is the crown jewels of the company uh, and each of all the companies I've mentioned before that are are data providers. Um, so naturally we protect it very well. And so um, I think what we're looking for are partnerships with some of these digital assistants and to create pipes between our companies, uh, mutually agreed upon secure piping between our companies so that the digital assistants can inter interact with our data and our intelligence. But um, Again, we don't want it to get out uh, because it is our it is our it is our asset. Exactly. So. Yeah. I mean, data is obviously important to organizations, and it helps make you unique and differentiate you from your competitors because your data is your own. So I think that um, you know that is a struggle. And how do you give people what they need? How do you train your systems without giving away too much um, so that it can still be uh, you know a good system and you can have everything that you need, but you're not giving it away and spending all of this time, resources, money um, in doing so. And I think that, you know, as, as we continue to see adoption, especially in specific industries, it'll be interesting to see how the industries do progress. Yeah. I think there's going to have to be 
a partnership between the domain data expert the, the the in order for a company like amazon to create the domain the data asset that we have would take many many years and, and billions of dollars to recreate a data resource uh, as rich as the legal content that that LexisNexis has done, and likewise with medical stuff, I, I can't even imagine. Um, like Google has a lot of data, but it hasn't been enriched, and 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 you know thousands of lawyer lawyer hours have spent, you know, summarizing the data and enriching it and identifying legal precedents and correcting things. So there's a lot of investment into it, and I think. I think uh, what's going to have to happen for these digital assistants to get smarter and to connect with these resources, there's going to have to be partnerships uh, between the data, the data providers or the data experts and the machines, uh, the assistant machines. Yes. Well, it'll definitely be interesting to see how things, you know, eventually do shake out and, and how kind of the industry progresses with that and, um, you know, how adoption of that works as well. Because you're right, at the end of the day, you know, you can you can do this and, and data is going to be the company asset, but it's only as good as the users that use it, right? If nobody's using it and you've built something that's incredible, then... Um, you know, hopefully it wasn't all for naught. You hope that people are using it. So you have to make sure that there's adoption as well. And so you're right. It needs to be good. Otherwise people won't use it. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, well, this was such a great conversation and I'm looking forward to your talk at the, the data for AI event that's coming up. So listeners, if you're interested, please go to dataaiconf.com to register and check that out. But we always like to end our podcasts with our, our podcast interviews with the same question, because we get, you know, no matter how many times we've asked this question, we always get a different response from guests. So I love to hear what they have to say. As a final note, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to organizations and beyond? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll, I have to make a confession. I grew up in the seventies watching uh, a show called Star Trek, uh, and Captain Kirk was my hero. Um, and I, uh, I always, I always loved it when Captain Kirk would ask the ship, you know, some kind of question and the ship kind of, she would always answer him perfectly. No, no clarifying question. She didn't say, did you mean this? The ship always provided an awesome answer. And, um, Captain Kirk and Spock would, you know, save the day. I actually think I actually have that vision in mind as our ultimate end game here as um, if we could create something like that. But I think to your ultimate question there, what's interesting, it's, you know, I think, I think it took place in the 22nd century. That was, it was the sixties when they did it, I guess. So it's 22nd century. They had this all knowing computer, right. That uh, was sought for advice. And you would have think that you know, with all the fear we have of AI taking over, that the computers would just run everything. But still, in the 22nd century, Captain Kirk and Spock used all this super advanced Q&A technology for advice. And they still, they still own the final decision. They still flew the ship. They still, you know, did all this, all the stuff. So I think, um, I think the future, uh, the future of AI is really to really help us make 
it's kind of like a, another analogy would be it's kind of like an Iron Man suit. It's really designed to, in my head, to make us smarter and faster and better at what we do. But the human inside is still in control and making the decisions, but the decisions are just better um, and more informed. So, yeah, that's a uh, that's one of my fond memories. So I uh, like to keep that in mind as I move forward and, and try to uh, set a vision for Lexus as well. Yeah, that's a great answer. You know, we we call that idea augmented intelligence, where you're taking the best mm-hmm. of what the human can do and the best of what the machine can do and combining them together. So you're never removing the human from the loop. You're just making, you're just allowing them to do their job or their role or their task better. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, sounds like what your vision of the future is, where we have this idea of augmented intelligence, where we're able to just make humans better, but we're never going to replace humans. Yeah, at least through the 22nd century. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen after that. So. <laughs> right. After that, who knows? Maybe the ship yeah. will take over. <laughs> yeah. All right, Rick. Well, thanks so much. This was such an incredible podcast. Thank and you, as I you. mentioned, we're really looking forward to your upcoming talk. So hopefully our listeners will register for that event. And if you've enjoyed awesome. listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes, including a link for the upcoming Data for AI event. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group. And make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also, subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica, all rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. <laughs>